unexpected trouble, CashNet USA can take the stress out of borrowing emergency funds. Our fast, secure application process makes it easy to apply online 24-7. Plus, CashNet USA offers same-day funding if approved before 10.30 a.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday. Additional terms may apply. Visit CashNetUSA.com or tap the banner to apply today. You never have enough time. You never have enough money. You never have enough knowledge. You're never ready. So you just got to jump. You're listening to Producing with Purpose, an ethical business podcast with me, Tony Corrales. We'll be speaking to some of the greatest CEOs, creatives, founders, and entrepreneurs who have established and managed companies that put ethical practices at the forefront of their mission, all whilst navigating the challenges of the business world. You're listening to episode three of Producing with Purpose. This is the last episode in the first launch batch we've gone out with before we start releasing new episodes every week in 2021. Today on the show, we're speaking to Emily Hazel, who is the founder and owner and visionary behind the plant-based, happiness-inspired cafe, Serotonin Eatery in Melbourne. I'm really happy with how this one came out, and I think there's a lot of depth and a lot of inspiration coming from the -the behind-the-scenes work that Emily talks about when running this place. We talk about pivoting on your original idea and turning that into something that really aligns with your current ethos and a vision that you want to bring to your community. We cover off the anticipation before opening the doors in that first six months when you're getting everything ready, what we know as the grind period, and how you can build up some organic hype during that time. We cover off self-funding a business, which really just comes down to grit and determination and some great stories that Emily's got. And then we also have a think about how you get employees to continue to share this vision as the business grows and you have other people representing what you've brought to the market. For me, I feel like this was a great time to have this conversation. It left me feeling really inspired about opening my new business, and it also felt like a really good step in the right direction for this podcast and encapsulates exactly what I had in mind when I started this up. There's still a long way to go in terms of my interview skills and some of the audio recording, and we had a few audio troubles as we were recording this quite near to a train station. But on the whole, I think it just really grabs someone's passion behind their business that's more than just the bottom line, but it's also a massive testament to their success and their hard work, and now they are reaping the rewards of creating an amazing business. A big part that I loved about this conversation with Emily was the reminder that we need to just keep solving problems every single day when creating a new venture. Every day new problems arise, and every day you find solutions, and there's no quantifiable number to say that if you solve 5, 10, 20,000 problems, then you're going to find your way to success, but it just reminds you that every day you've solved problems, you've taken steps to getting closer. As I mentioned in episode one of the podcast, I will be giving updates as we progress on our journey towards launching No Skin. The last few weeks have definitely presented some challenges and some problems for us to solve. I don't want to hold up getting stuck into this chat with Emily, but if you want to hear about that, then stick around to the end while I'll tell you about some of the troubles we've been having in sourcing ethical materials. So with all of that said, thanks again for tuning in to the first three episodes of the Producing With Purpose podcast. And here is Emily Hazel of Serotonin Eatery. So I'm here today with Emily Hazel of Serotonin Eatery in Melbourne. So thanks for being here with me. My pleasure. So I've got a few questions lined up today, some of which you're aware of, maybe a couple that you're not. Um, But before we dive into that, just give us and the listeners an elevator pitch of what Serotonin Eatery is. Yeah, sure. Serotonin is a happiness centre 
and we serve mood stabilizing food in a sensory experience. So I really looked at the whole hospitality experience as a whole. When I sort of went plant-based myself, there was nowhere that I wanted to go. So not only did I open up a plant-based eatery, I opened up a happiness center as well. So we've got swings, we've got Japanese booths, we're next to a park, we're dog friendly, like everything that could make you happy. That already makes me happy. (laughs) I love it. You know, today I really want to inspire people listening to see what can be achieved with hard work, a goal in mind, and just to inspire people again about bringing ethics and positivity, especially today into business, uh, which I think is really exciting. From what I understand, and you mentioned there about the Japanese booths, you had an original goal to open a Japanese cafe. What what caused the shift? (laughs) Yeah, I, growing up with our friends after school, we used to go to this little local Japanese place And it was just like really cheap, cheerful. There was like no alcohol. So you'd go in and it was like $9 when we used to go for a dinner box, which got you an entree, a main, a drink and a dessert. In Melbourne? In Melbourne. Wow. It's now 16, like (laughs) 10 years later, still so cheap. So we used to go there and my thought was that I wanted to open up a second venue of this. I just loved the owners. They knew us. I still know me by name. I still go there all the time. And I wanted to open up a second one, but then I started to get into brunch culture. And so then I thought, there's no Japanese breakfast venues in Melbourne. So for years, I planned to do this Japanese breakfast venue. And yeah, I went to Japan and I was researching, you know, different Japanese design styles. And I love the tatami sunken seating. And then it wasn't until a little bit later in life, I started eating a diet high in serotonin. And then I was still, even after I was eating this diet high in what's called tryptophan, I was still planning to do the Japanese restaurant. And then one of my best friends said, why aren't you doing a serotonin cafe? That's how you eat. And I was like, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> and he can't remember. So. <laughs> so so you keep giving him the credit, but he's not remembering. Yeah, he can't remember at all. <laughs> so yeah, tell me a little bit about your journey then of switching to a serotonin fueled yep. diet. Well, I kind of start the story back when I was like 16. So yep. I was going through what I just refer to as mood funks. At the time, I hadn't been diagnosed with anything, but I was having, you know, huge, maybe especially hormonal ups and downs. Um, And the only people sort of available to me at that time was like school counselors. Okay. So I would chat to them and it went on. I didn't really get any help and Mm. it never really improved. And I moved out of home at 18. And then when I was about 20, 21, I thought enough is enough. I took myself to the doctor. Yep. And the doctor after chatting to me for like two minutes, was like, great, we're going to put you on antidepressants. And it just like sent alarm bells to me. And thank God it did. And I just went home that night and I started to research like, what is an antidepressant? Like, what does that do to you? What does that do to your body, your brain? Like, how long do you have to be on it? And I didn't like what I was reading. So I just thought, all right, well, how can I get naturally happy? Yeah, okay. And I started just to literally research natural happiness. My brother is a very sciencey brain, so he just always keeps pushing me back to Google Scholar M. So <laughs> I was researching natural happiness and how you can become naturally happy. Yeah. And all these different things were popping up, like spending time in nature and exercising, all the basics. But then this word serotonin kept coming up and it just resonated with me because happiness just sent like this sort of far out goal. It was like this exponential thing. Like, when do you get there? When are you happy? And like some days I was happy. So I was like, what am I trying to achieve? And then when I found this word serotonin and sort of learned what it meant, you know, mood stabilization, that really resonated with me sort of being content and just feeling good. So 
my research then changed and I went down this path of serotonin. How do I increase my serotonin naturally in yeah, my body? Okay. And then that's where I learned about, yeah, eating foods high in tryptophan, which is what converts to serotonin when you eat it. So that's like complex carbohydrates, um, yep. brown rice, frika, any like vegetables like sweet potato, um, bananas is one that's kind of famous for it. And then, yeah, I just switched my diet to a really high tryptophan diet and it changed me physically Yep. so quickly and wow, okay. it was coincidentally at the time I learned about eating a plant-based diet as well yeah they kind of were really separate journeys in my life but okay. yeah I was learning about how to be healthy and how to look after myself and then at the time a lot of vegan youtubers were becoming huge yeah, so right. I started watching a lot of <laughs> vegan youtube and then you watch the documentaries and then you're just in for life so yeah I yeah went plant-based at the time so the change in my body and my energy like I hadn't really been working out even though I was so active as a kid and in high school but then I just I was eating this high plant-based diet and I was eating a um, low-fat, high-carb vegan diet. So I was just like beaming with energy. Like I physically had to just like get out and go for a bike ride every night, go for a run because I just had so much energy in me. So that's the change great. was huge. That's an awesome journey and awesome advocating there for a plant-based diet as yeah. well, which is always great to hear. So, I mean, that's, that's a really cool journey into, I suppose, then what inspired the ethos to come yeah. into serotonin. Um, and, you know, a little bit sad as well that the Japanese idea got left behind. Yeah. I like hope, hope you get to do that one day as well. Um, but I suppose, was there a point then from doing that and feeling that positive impact that you felt compelled to, I suppose, share, share a bit of that journey and find a vessel to share that with other people as well? Yeah, I think like I was super lucky that Instagram was just launching yep. that little thing <laughs> when I was opening. So okay. it actually took us like nine months to get our planning permit here. So for nine months, I was wow. sitting here paying rent, ready to go. Oh, wow. And we were just like behind closed doors. And all I was trying to do was move one window because sunlight is something that affects your serotonin yep. level. So I really wanted to have as many seats as I could having natural sunlight on the table. So when we were behind the scenes, I was on Instagram and I was just kind of, yeah, it wasn't what it is today. And I was just sharing my story. I was being really open, really personal, sharing like recipes, sharing what I was eating, what I was doing. And I just like really organically built this following. I think we had 15,000 followers before we opened the door. Amazing. So that's how, yeah, we opened and we just had this community instantly. There's there's two sides that are really cool. One is that in a situation myself where I'm eagerly awaiting to launch my business and you know it's not planning permits but it's manufacturing issues that come along the way um and knowing the frustration of that that you were ready to go yeah but you wanted to execute it perfectly yeah so where do you think the balance lies then between waiting to realize your vision in its entirety and saying now's the time to open the doors versus saying you know what fuck it we're just going to open because we've got to get going <laughs> yeah pretty much always fuck it you never have <laughs> enough time you never have enough money you yeah. never have enough knowledge you're never ready yeah so you just got to jump you just do it and this is what I was learning at the time in that time I picked up a business course and I was doing this business course which was in Sydney so luckily I hadn't opened yet I was flying in between and I only yeah. ever did nine months of it because as soon as the doors opened I couldn't fly up we were too busy yeah. so what I learned in that course was fail fast just yeah. fail fast do something try it if it doesn't work try something else and especially if you want to become a business owner an entrepreneur or whatever or you've got an idea go for it because even if in 12 months time you end up back in the same job you're in at least you tried yeah and there's so many positive stories out there and yeah it does i loved it at the start you said it just takes hard work that is the secret that is the only secret yeah. you know every uh successful business every overnight success was 10 years in the making oh absolutely my favorite things. That's, that's, it. 
yeah, it's it was the same, you know, and just on an aside, coming from the music industry myself, and you see all these people, and people are like, oh, man, they're an overnight success. It's like, <laughs> I remember when those dudes were, you know, all crammed in the car and doing this for six, seven, eight years Yeah, beforehand. exactly. There's no In grade seven, thing. probably standing up at church or something, practicing guitar. Yeah, it there is forever. no overnight <laughs> success. So, no, I completely, completely back that. And I think as well, it's one of those things that when you do try something and you fail and you jump in and it's you know another thing I'm really sort of living by in this phase of opening my first venture of this size is that you know being an entrepreneur or a business owner whatever is just about creating new problems every day yeah but it's just then how you solve them yep that's what it is and every day is a new problem yes <laughs> so but the more you solve the closer you get has a 2020 just shown us that yeah. every day is a new problem yeah that's yeah. what that's what my job is solving problems and that yeah you have to keep a cool head i've got like 30 staff here so they'll come to me every five minutes with a new problem they make up problems <laughs> but i tell especially staff who work for me you know if they're coming to me with a problem you have to come to me with two solutions yeah if you're like this is what's going on em, and then they have to tell me this is what we could do or this and then i just help navigate them through that's so it. yeah using the resources around you yeah and just make the final decision yep and then you got to wear keep that. pushing forward <laughs> and if you fail it doesn't matter exactly <laughs> <Go again. laughs> yeah now now we're getting in sorry we went straight from the journey which i'm all about and i think you know it, it almost goes without saying and um, anyone who checks you out on Instagram or looks at the site or even just comes by to this beautiful space as well, you can see where you can see where the positivity and the ethics and all the good things come into this and really where the, you know, producing with purpose element comes yeah. into the business, which is lovely to see. But then I suppose on the, you know, sticking in that business side, that's what I'm really interested in. I did hear that you had a bit of an interesting way of funding your <laughs> venture as well. So tell me about that. Well, I've just always being a worker bee, I, when I was 12 years old, I was helping my little cousins on like what's called the gym bus. It's like a party bus. Okay. And one of them was having their birthday. They were like, you know, maybe six or eight or something like that. And I was exactly the same height I am now. So this poor guy was obviously very confused, but I was on the bus helping these kids and I, I had nannied them as well. So I was just hanging out with them pretty much. And he saw me with them and said, would you like a job? And I was yeah. like, yeah, that would be great. And he's like, are you 16? I was like, yeah. Sure, why not? <laughs> and he's like, how much do you want an hour? And then I was like, $25. He's like, okay. So from 12 years old, he used to pick me up every Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> Mom signs on form saying she's 16. Amazing. And then we, I would work all Saturday and Sunday. He'd give me this money and I just saved and saved. And then a few years later, I was at a picking up my cousins again from another party. It was this arts and crafts party that were at making mosaics and things like that. And she said, do you want a job? And I was like, yeah, great. And she's like, well, how much you want an hour? I was like, $25. <laughs> That's my going rate. <laughs> That's my rate. That's yeah. what I'm charging. So then I worked there from, yeah, year nine to like the start of year 12. And I was doing that like three, four, five nights a week working for, for hours. So wow. I was saving and saving and saving. And then when I left school, I actually went and worked at the bank. So that was yep. probably really great. That taught me about savings accounts and term deposits okay, and yeah. how you can invest. And so at like 20, I think I had my first managed fund. And that was all this money that I'd saved as like a kid. And the financial planner came to me because we were just friends in the branch. And he's like, do you have any savings? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, let's invest it in shares. So okay. my friends and he's like, how high risk do you want to go? They do a risk profile on you. Yep. And I was like, I'm 20. Yeah, I guess go high risk. I was like, none of my friends have a cent to their name. So if I lose all this money, <laughs> what's the problem? And that was actually in 2008. So I invested at the bottom of the GFC and yeah. my money just doubled yeah. it doubled it was no i invested right at the bottom oh, yeah. sorry and it, it doubled yeah, yeah it went up it went up i was very lucky so 
that was happening. And then, yeah, when I was working at the bank, I was saving and I just had this amount in my head, $500 a week. Mm-hmm. And I think I was only making like $1,100, $1,200 a fortnight. So I was living off about 100 bucks a yeah. week. <laughs> but I just had this amount in my head that I just need to save $500 a week. And if I needed more money, I'd go get extra babysitting jobs or I'd go work at juice bars or I'd just do whatever. I just knew I had this goal of opening a business and I just, yeah, did not want to go into debt uh, after seeing especially people at the bank with like car loans and things like that, paying off 19% interest when they're in their 20s. So I just knew I don't want to go into debt, but I've got this big dream of opening up my own venue. Yeah, it's was it a bit of a tough transition? And I suppose doing that early investment as well, you you almost had a a good a good outcome there of seeing, yeah. hey, I invest and I got a positive yes. return. But going from someone who saves so hard, you know, there is a bit of a contrast sometimes between people who save and then people who are willing to risk. Yes. Um, was was that hard for you to actually part with that to go across? It, it wasn't hard to part with, but the day I opened, I had $246 in my bank account. Yeah. And my weekly wages are about 10 grand. Yeah. So... <laughs> I was in trouble. It had to work. There was just like no other option. I had to, it had to, I had to bring people in. We had to make money that week. So I was very lucky that that first weekend, yeah, we had a thousand customers and and that was because we'd been close for those nine months. So I had these people who were like banging down the door. People were arriving when it was a work site still trying to come and get a smoothie. (laughs) (laughs) Like I saw you on Instagram. It's like be patient. So yeah, I think I think that's so good. And like you say, you almost put yourself into that position, even though you built up so much and you saved so much yep. off your own back as well, which is incredibly impressive. But then you immediately put yourself into that position where you have no choice but to succeed. Yeah. And how important do you think that is then for starting something up to, to actually force yourself into that discomfort? Huge. And it was definitely discomfort. I, yeah. We would have a quiet day and... I'd built myself a little office that pretty much just fit my laptop and a chair and I would leave the staff out on the floor, set them up with jobs to do. And I would just go sit in there and I would just come up with any marketing activity I could. I would call newspapers. I would go into Facebook groups. I would do stories. I would try to do Facebook ads. I was just literally doing anything I could. I'd open up a magazine and I'd find an article written with a similar topic and I'd reach out to that journalist. So I was just doing anything I could to get people in because where we are, no one walks past and yeah okay true yeah we're closed here on a monday tuesday and when i was building my dad was freaking out he was standing inside looking out and he's like em no one walks past what have you done i'm like don't worry i've got fifteen thousand instagram followers he's like, what the hell is that <laughs> what does that mean <laughs> so i just had to get the word out and we ended up getting in a lot of like in-flight magazines we got in the jal japanese in-flight magazine wow. all these great stuff so we got huge exposure and people were coming like from the airport my little office ended up being like a luggage holding room <laughs> that's awesome Just a quick reminder that you can get the show notes for this episode and all other episodes on noskin.co under the podcast's heading. You'll be able to see some great pictures of how serotonin looked when it was under construction, how beautiful it looks today, and links to anything else that we've talked about in this episode that's a good resource for reference. As you've grown the business and you know your, your payroll for your staff will have increased, your staff numbers would have yep. increased. My understanding is well, you are still working the floor as well. Yes. You still work. Um, Just knocked off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, legit. Like still in your, still in your serotonin My jumper. Yeah. <laughs> what is, what's the reason, I suppose, that you still stay on the floor? Like, Is that something you – I imagine it's not something you have to do now. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's definitely not something I have to do. I've 
systemize the shop within an inch of its life. So the staff, yeah, no, they've got set up lists, pack down lists. They've got what to do in a free moment list. We've got, yeah, yeah a marketing plan. We've got everything to a T now after sort of five, six years of being open. But it's why I opened yeah. because I wanted to work with people. But yeah, sometimes I get too busy and I'll be in the back office and I'm kind of hiding out there doing my work. So it's a, it's like a fine balance. I always try to jump on the door Saturday, Sunday because cool. we have so many people come those days and I get to see all my regulars and I get to meet everyone new. And now that I kind of, yeah, put my face on the social media a lot and do yeah. podcasts and interviews, people kind of know who I am. So I'm actually useless on the floor. One, because I've never worked in hospitality, <laughs> but two, because people just want to chat to me. So if they put me on a section... My section goes down within 10 minutes because people want to have a chat to me about the ethos, <laughs> about the dinner that's coming up, about how good this thing was we did. So yeah. it's lovely, but so, oh, I'm the, just floating around. The bus is distracted again. <laughs> yeah. So have you found it? Obviously, you know, this is not just a cafe and that's what I love about it. This is an experience. It's a community. It's a hub of what your vision was. Yep. Have you found it challenging to find staff who share that vision or have you got like a framework that you live by that yeah, you passed I on? Yeah, definitely have a framework, which I developed pretty early on. We've got a huge hiring process. Yep. Um, you have to get through four emails before we'll pretty much even Great. speak to you. Yep. So, and it kind of happens. There's a lot of um, people who have to apply for jobs in hospitality for their visas. So we get a lot of applicants who okay. don't even want to work here. So it started via that and then it's allowed me to hire the perfect staff. So you apply at serotonin and then I send you back our ethos, our mission, our vision. And I say, if you don't align with it, don't even reply to this. And then, you know, maybe 25% reply. And then I send them back 10 questions to really get to know, like, why do they want to work here? And then the same is at the kind of end of uh, one of my staff's journeys here. If they're coming to work and I can see they don't want to be here, I sit them down and, you know, I'm like, you don't have to be here. If you don't want to be here, I would rather you move on and do something else, not resent us. And I'd rather open up the space to someone else. And that's, it is the magic of serotonin is the staff. Like the staff just beam with happiness. The staff just create this like buzz because everyone that's here really wants to be here. And a lot of them have different reasons. Yeah. Maybe sustainable reasons. They love what we're doing here. Ethical reasons, um, plant-based, gluten-free. We do so many different things here that they all have their own little reason to be here. That's really cool. And what about serotonin as a, you, you mentioned to me, you've got your steps Yep. What, what is it you call? The serotonin formula. The serotonin formula. Yes. So, so how does that incorporate them? What does that involve? So back when I went to the doctor, she tried to put me on antidepressants and then I started to research how to make myself naturally happy. I started journaling, like what are these things okay. that I can do every day to make myself happy? And then I started working with um, specialists, so like a psychologist, um, scientists, dietitians, naturopaths. And we came up like with these 12 steps. So some of them are super basic, like raise your heart rate just exercise 23 minutes a day is what they say alleviates depression and anxiety um stopping the stimulant cycle is one that i really like to chat about everyone in australia is stuck on this so we get up they have coffee that (laughs) shoots up your energy and then that crashes and then you have sugar yeah that crashes and then you get home you might have an alcoholic drink something like that so by the time you go to bed your body is exhausted and all over the place and people don't realize how much those things really do affect them Mm. so if you are looking to change your life really quickly try taking out all or just one see how you go (laughs) of those things but yeah people they have the caffeine and then the sugar in the afternoon and alcohol at night time then they have a terrible night's sleep and then they wake up because they're so tired and then they need coffee again yeah (laughs) So that was something that came up huge at the start. And a lot of people, you know, ask why we don't sell alcohol. A lot of cafes do alcohol, but alcohol is a depressant and serotonin is about happiness. Totally makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) No, that's, that's a really nice way to look at it. And 
yeah, there's definitely a lot of that. That's the Melbourne coffee culture. Yeah. Um, but there's there's a lot to be said for that as well as, you know, taking a step back and assessing your relationship with anything yeah. like that. Yeah, exactly. Coffee has health benefits and is great for you, but we call them face palmers and they come to the cafe in the morning and they cannot even talk to us until they've had their coffee. And that's, you're getting at a problem level <laughs> when you're getting there. <laughs> However, you do make a good coffee. Here, so. Yeah, we do make a very good coffee. Yeah. <laughs> So from what I understand as well, the first weekend you opened, and we've talked a bit about this, you know, you've got people scrambling at the door (laughs) even prior to opening. Um, You had something like a thousand people come through in that first weekend. How how did that feel from going, you know, from seeing this as a vision to then having a queue outside the door? It it didn't sink in, honestly, till probably this year. Okay. I finally took some time off and we closed and I really actually realized what I'd done, but on the Tuesday night before we opened, we were here till 3.30 a.m. putting things together, finishing juice recipes, coming up with everything. We went home at 3.30. Our alarms went off at 5.30 yeah. and we came back into work. So I can't even remember the first week. I was so <laughs> exhausted and so dehydrated and malnourished. I was like, oh, God, what have I done? I went into this to show people health and happiness and I can't even walk. So the first weekend was mental and it was hilarious. We actually – I hired a lot of sort of – um, yeah, dietitians, like students, yeah. um, a lot of uni kids who were studying things that I knew would be yeah really helpful for my customers to chat to every day. And I'd never worked in hospitality. And then the first food came up and coffee came up on the pass and the bell dinged and they looked at me and I yeah. looked at them and we didn't know what the bell meant. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to fire everyone pretty much day one. And I had to just put a call out on my Facebook and bring in friends. I had to bring in like 10, 15 friends oh, wow. the next day. And I'd spent like a month training these kids as well. So everything just went out the window. And then I brought in all my friends who ended up working for me for like two, three years. So oh, really? it's so very good. changed what I was going to do, but it was fine. I was able to sort of teach them what I wanted to talk to the customers about anyway. Yeah, that's so nice. And it's nice as well to build that community and all yeah. be in that together as well. And yeah, that must be just such a great, you know, it's a great feeling as well, because there must be realistically a lot of places that open the doors and then sit there for that first day. It's uh-huh. like, it'll come. It'll I do come. remember saying, guys, can you post on your Facebook that we're open and try to get your friends down? Yeah. <laughs> the first few days was very quiet. But then, yeah, that first, the weekend was mental. And from having that and, you know, the thousands upon thousands of people that have walked in through mm-hmm. the doors since that first weekend, and you've also amassed, which is a really impressive amount as well of Google reviews, like nearly 700 Google reviews now um there's a lot i didn't even know that That's it a is lot. a lot and having a look through those you know glowing reviews as well but of course as with anything there's also you know the mm. ones who pop up mm-hmm. and the one star <laughs> review and it is a small small minority but do you do you pay attention to that how do you deal with that when you know you're on something so good yep is there still like a compelling oh it absolutely cuts you to the core yeah. And that's probably from, yet yeah, at the bank when we had to get it 10 out of 10, I really try and push my staff to get fives out of fives. And we do. We're sitting at like 4.9 out oh, of yeah. five on our Facebook. And it's really interesting that we've got 700 Googles because it's a really different demographic than my customer that review on Google. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot sort of like older male, whereas we're kind of like a female okay. 18 to 34-year-old. That's like 92% of my customers is there. Yeah. But all my Google reviews is these guys that come in. So they're these hilarious views like views <laughs> and reviews that, yeah, I wouldn't even have thought of come here. They're kind of people's partners, people's dads. Yeah. Whereas like Zomato and our Facebook is, yeah, really my core customers, like who come every day, yeah. who've reviewed us after a few years. These are like guys who just kind of come once and then put up this like surprising review. People have this like misconception of what we are. They sort of 
think it's fake happiness. We do. We get really bad reviews about all the customers. This, sorry, the staff were fake happy. Yeah, and okay. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's like, look, at, look where you've I come. I couldn't pay them to be happy. That's not something in their pay grade. <laughs> you know, it's a bit of a cliche expectation that a business is going to thrive or is going to die in that first 12 months. Yeah. Um, how was that, you know, aside from that first weekend mm-hmm. where I imagine it was all built up the hype and then you've got to maintain that. How was that first 12 months? Yeah, the first 12 months was amazing. We actually have pretty much the exact same number of customers week in, week out. Cool. So I don't even know. Sometimes I'll do, I'll spend my whole month's budgeting, budget on marketing in a day and I'll get really excited and then we're just as busy the next day. Nothing ever peaks or troughs. So maybe <laughs> yeah. I should just stop marketing and we'll just remain the same busy as well. But yeah, yeah the whole first year, I remember learning those statistics, like 70% of small businesses die in the first year and 90% in the second year. So I was like, oh God. Yeah. But yeah, we just before this year, we were five years in business wow. and it's still just the same. And we opened up last week again for the first time since March in nine months. And we had the same exact months. same amount of customers. <laughs> I don't know what it is. So it's perfect. It's just the amount that makes us feel a good buzz here as well we're never like at the start we were not good at managing where to see how to we never turn over tables but we sit people in appropriate spots so that we can use the most seats and things like that and we've learned that over the time so we used to have like half an hour 45 minute doorways we never have a doorway anymore we take bookings now we don't have a wait on food which you know in the first month that i opened we had like an hour wait on food because it just blew our minds how busy we were. We just were not ready for it. Yeah. And now food comes out in like eight minutes. I have to tell my chefs to like slow down. Like we've systemized yeah. everything. Let, pe- let people chill. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like people haven't even got their drinks. So yeah. people, yeah, we can, people can come and sit here for like, you know, an hour or two hours and everyone still gets to enjoy it. And we're still the same amount of busy. So it's nice. That's so nice. And is there anything, you know, having that success, which is, which is awesome. And it's come from such hard work and leading into it. But in that first year is, is there any advice you would give? And I suppose, you know, give, give to me in creating <laughs> yeah. something new in that first 12 months. Yeah, what, is, what would you pass on to anyone going through that? What I would pass on is don't rush it. Yep. You know, keep going, make connections. Something that I did back at the start was what's called a hundred list. So mm-hmm. you write a list, whatever industry you're in, of your absolute goal people you can talk to. So go nuts, I don't know. Oprah, Tony Robbins, whoever, go huge. Um, But it could be just people in your industry, in your local area. So for me, I was speaking to even like family and friends who'd owned restaurants before. I just had this 100 list and anytime you're like, you know, on a train or got some spare time, you just try and get onto one. And now with Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, the whole world's connected, you can actually reach these people. And if you're genuine and if you try, I tell myself all the time, if you are trying to, you know, connect with someone via email, don't just email them once. Like I'm busy as anything so if someone emails me five times i'll finally get back to them (laughs) so if you really want to connect with someone or talk to someone and then that's just how i built knowledge like that's invaluable to let other people's been there done an experience absolutely my biggest tip or start a podcast and record it (laughs) (laughs) exactly speaking of networking and making contacts let us know if there's anyone you'd like us to have on producing with purpose Do you know of an ethical business or is there a business that you really look up to who have just achieved so much but stayed true to their vision? Then send us an email to podcast at noskin.co and we'll see what we can do. There's one thing that I that I did see and you've mentioned today as well is that you had you had this book that you had in the you know the front or the good things or the back or the bad things or vice versa and it was a you know it was your shit list of Melbourne hospitality in one (laughs) section of that. Um, 
is there anything that you actually rely you know, I don't like this. I don't like seeing this when I go out. But now you've started a business. Now you've started your own cafe. You sort of see why that was the case and you haven't been able to avoid it. Um, I would probably do some design things a little bit different. I designed pretty much no back of house. Yeah. <laughs> so my poor staff, the kitchen is tiny. The bar is tiny. Where they polish is right in the customer's way. Things like that because I was coming from an interior aesthetic point of view. Yeah. I probably could have designed a more functional space. Yeah. Um, but for most of the stuff I've been able to maintain, like I've really put my foot down on like, cool. no, this is why we do this. Like taking bookings can sometimes be a good and a bad thing. Obviously, you know, people don't turn up. That's the bad part. Yeah. But it's a good thing because people don't have to wait. They can come here and they know they've got a table. But most things I've really advocated for and my customers really know that. Like I have huge serving sizes and you can literally edit anything on my menu and stuff like that, I'm sure kills the chefs. But (laughs) (laughs) it's what the customers want. And I think that's what hospitality is, being hospitable, you know, making someone happy. You know, people have forgotten that. There's no customer service anymore. And that's with any business. Customer service should be the most important thing because without a customer, you don't have a business. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I love that as well about being able to change stuff on the menu. And if you think of it, you know, you say this is like coming into your house. If yeah. someone came around, you're like, "I'll make you lunch," but you can't change what I'm making you. <laughs> exactly. No alterations to the I sandwich. I think I was lucky because it was already going to be a plant based restaurant. Just as I opened, gluten free was becoming quite well known. So I've just done. You know, you're not eating like cardboard bread that's like gluten-free. I've found the best versions of everything. I've worked yeah. with bakers to make like a nice bread. Like customers who aren't gluten-free don't know that our bread's gluten-free. Yeah. But I've worked to have it a celiac-friendly cafe and, yeah, obviously plant-based. And then we also like FODMAPing and all these things that have yeah. come through. So everyone can eat everything here anyway. So there's never not much you have to change. For sure. I think that's... It's nice as well. It just comes down to that experience and that's what will bring people back yeah. as well. You know, and that's why people love being here. And have you noticed then as well, you say you were launching it just as gluten-free became yeah. a thing. And, you know, especially especially here in, in the UK where I'm from originally as well, you know, plant-based veganism mm-hmm. has gone absolutely huge <laughs> in the last few years. Yeah. Um, have you just noticed more of a shift in the way that people are coming in into wanting something a little bit more ethical, I suppose? Yeah, I think... Yeah, back when I went plant-based, it was because there was all these cool YouTube vegan people. And then that's who it was. All my customers were girls my age because we were following these people. But now, yeah, I had a guy come in today who was like 50 and he wants to bring all his work friends here. He's gone vegan. He wants to show them. My new head chef has gone vegan. So that's why he really wanted to work here to learn about it. So I've seen this like really interesting shift and it's a lot of, I guess, daughters and girlfriends chatting to more people and it's really spreading. Yeah. That's really good. It's yeah, really, really makes me happy to hear after this, like after this long as well, that the yeah. shift is happening. So well, I so think cool. that I never actually use the V word. I say they're yeah, I swear words. So yeah. I never use vegetarian or vegan in any of my branding. We yeah. just say plant-based. And for people who aren't vegan or vegetarian, they don't really know what that means. So it's not a turn off for them. They're like, <laughs> I don't know what that means. So yeah. we never use those words. So when people come here, they just come expecting like a big brekkie or a bacon and eggs or whatever. Yeah, okay. But then my meals, like I have burgers and I have waffles and we have these pancakes. Like everything is really aesthetically pleasing to the eye and everything is a huge serving size. Cool. So you can't not leave satiated, like from the flavor to the quantity. Everything makes you leave happy. So I'm actually serving all of these vegan meals to people 
that don't even know they're eating yeah. vegan. <laughs> and definitely if I had have said, we're a vegan restaurant, come have brunch, they would have been like, oh no, I don't eat vegan. Yeah. So that's like that sneaky underlying thing that I do that is great for the world environment and your own health anyway. Exactly. So, <laughs> you know, no complaints from anyone. Yeah. Circling back around, I mean, you know, from a growth perspective, we won't, yeah, we won't dig too deep, but I can only imagine that, you know, from the $500 a week you were saving to start this up, it's been a pretty big shift now, I'm sure, to where this has positioned you. Yep. And it's been a great experience and you're now in a five-year-plus truly successful business, yeah. which is a massive accomplishment. Thank you. Um, is, is serotonin something that you would ever open a second version of somewhere else? Most definitely. And I feel like from weekend one, people were saying, oh, where are you going to open your second one? I was like, I just got this together. It's been yeah. 10 years. Um, originally, when I opened, half my heart is up in the, the northern rivers up at the top of New South Wales. That's okay. kind of where my grandpa was and where I spent a lot of my childhood and where I spent a lot of my time when I'm not here. So that's where the first one was actually going to be. But I'm from Melbourne. My family are tradies down here. I just had connections and I just knew the area. I spent a lot of time researching and I did a business plan while I was at uni and spent like six months finding this location. So I did the first one here and I always thought I'll do another one, but this one, it just takes up all my time. I just (laughs) don't know when I'm going to do another one. So I do little side projects and design stuff on the side, but Nice. I have a couple of uh, little ideas. There is a yeah. vegan uh, Japanese thing in the pipeline always that I'm awesome. working on. So where the next one will be, I'm not sure. But the goal was always we're in Burnley here, which is a little pocket of Richmond, Melbourne. And then I wanted to do Buller, which is the closest yeah. snow mountain to Melbourne. There's nothing healthy, remotely healthy <laughs> no. or plant-based up there. Um, and then Bondi and then Burley Heads and Byron. All the bees just seem to work for me. So Great. that is the you know like 20-year goal. But yeah, we'll just slowly tick along because my yeah my business advice is to slow down. We're all okay. like aiming for this place and these goals that we just don't need to be. We just need to really enjoy the journey. Okay, well that that's really good as well because I you know I was gonna give you a chance and I will do in a second to just give some of your some of your entrepreneurial advice <laughs> yep. to to anyone there and that's a good start to it. Um, but I do just want to you know. Start closing things out now because yep. be respectful of your time as well. Um, so a bit of a bit of a chance to hand over to you. So from everything I've seen, you know, serotonin is about inspiring people to look after themselves, um, have a positive mindset and make the most of their lives exactly as you just talked about that. Personally, I think you absolutely achieved that with finesse. This is such a nice environment to be in and it's a really big accomplishment to have this come together. I just want to hand over to you to... I suppose just tell people about anything you've got coming up, anything that you want to speak about or anything that you want to promote or just advocate for really. Yeah. Well we do, yeah, these monthly dinners. So that's like the most amazing place to come meet like-minded people. That's like, besides eating good food, I wanted to create a community here and like find people that will like me. And I have, I've made so many friends from my customers. I've been to like weddings of customers. And so every month we do that. Um, And then also every Saturday morning we do free exercise. So the numbers are back at 50. So we're allowed to do it again, but we just meet out the front at 7am on a Saturday morning and we head to the park near us or down to the Yarra river. Nice. We just do this like group exercise um, for all levels. And then we come back and have a brunch together and it just like breaks down the barriers after you've like got your, endorphins up and done a workout and you're all sweaty with the person next to you You don't mind talking about whatever so (laughs) those little things that we do are like the regular things and then we've got like a christmas uh plant-based dinner coming up on december 23rd which is really exciting but yeah always just keep up to date at serotonin dealer on instagram or my personal one is emily in wonderlust nice amazing so yeah just finishing up then um 
anything else as well you know this ultimately is a podcast of of business and to to inspire people as well who are in similar situations and want to create a create an ethical business or just a business in general yeah any parting advice that you would give definitely go back to the drawing boards and start with a business plan that's like where I started and that's where I send everyone. So you want to do a SWOT analysis. You can just Google. There's really great actually government business plans that you can yep. look up and you just literally fill it out and you'll start to think about like who your customer is. And most people start a business because they see a gap in their own lives and then they find a gap in that market. So generally at the start, you are your own customer, yep. but you've really got to get in your head of like, all right, what percent of your customer is going to be like you? For me, it's it's about 40% is like me. So 60% of the time I have to think like a tradie or a six-year-old man or all my other demographics. So definitely go back and do a business plan, write out your hundred list, just start to get in the mindset of it and find that time. One of my biggest tips I was ever told is the eight rule. So you have eight hours to sleep in a day, you have eight hours to work and you have eight hours to do whatever else you need. So for me, like that's meditation, yoga, the other things that fill my day. Yeah. But if you are like working a nine to five right now and you just think, I don't have the time, what are you doing with the other eight hours? Get off bloody Instagram, actually do what you <laughs> want to do. You don't need to build a following to launch a business anymore. You could have 200 followers and have the most successful business in the world. You just need to really focus on who your target market is, what they want to know, and then start talking to them. Perfect. Love it. Well, that has been, yeah, it's been inspiring for me. It's been really fun as well. I've loved learning more about it. So yeah, we'll also have for anyone who's listening, if you head into the show notes as well on the noskin.co website, we'll have some links to some of the other things that Emily's talked about today. Um, some pictures of serotonin and just links where you can find out more. And I'm very excited to get my hands on some no skin products. Amazing. (laughs) Thanks so much. All right. Cheers, Emily. Thank you. Thanks once again to Emily for being on the show. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Such good energy and so good to hear about what can happen when you just jump in, you put your money behind something that you really want to do, and you just get out there and make it happen. So inspiring. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I'll just take a minute to talk about our progress with No Skin. Of course, I'm going to focus a little bit on some of the challenges because that's what I want to cover in this podcast is some of the trials and tribulations of starting an ethical business. But that's not to say that we're not getting some awesome outcomes. We're really progressing well. We've just signed off samples of a brand new hemp material shirt that's going to be going live around February next year. We've got our boots in final production and they're going to be coming out in February as well. So there's some great progress towards getting everything done. That said though, it hasn't come without challenges, one of which we encountered the other day. So one thing that I'm really stoked to releasing is Japanese salvage denim jeans that are made from recycled cotton. I'm not seeing this in too many places out there. Obviously, there's no leather patch or anything like that. So these jeans have got sustainable materials. They're completely vegan. They're made of the highest quality Japanese salvage denim from one of the mills out of Japan. It's just so awesome to be able to be bringing this to the market in our first launch. So we're ready to have this coming out in February, along with the boots and the shirt that I just spoke about. We sign off the designs, we sign off all the samples, we've been going back and forward for months now on these, and we finally give it the thumbs up. Then to find out that because we are using recycled cotton, which is a little bit harder to obtain from this mill, we're actually not going to be able to get the fabric until around March next year, so it's not going to be ready for production until April, and it's not going to be in our hands to sell until May which is pretty disappointing, but these are the things that happen. These are some of those problems that come up every day and you've just got to find a solution. 
you assess, do we hold the launch of everything? Do we roll out another product? Is it going to diminish the impact of the brand if we launch without this one piece that we really wanted? And in the end, we decided, you know what, we're just going to get some more products developed as well to go out in May. So we're going to have a soft launch around January, February, and then we're going to have an even bigger launch come May. And this is where you just need to double down sometimes. You need to take a challenge, you need to take a problem, and then you need to find a bigger solution to turn it into something more. When making a decision like that as well, you don't even know if that's the right solution. But sometimes you just got to take your gut feeling, you got to stick with it and accept that you're not always going to make the right decision. And if you don't make the right decision, that's going to generate another problem. But then if you can solve that subsequent problem, you're on your way to making something successful. And that's what I'm going to keep driving forward with. So we'll see what happens. And I look forward to having this with you in February and in May. As I mentioned, this is the last episode that we're releasing in 2020. So keep an eye out in 2021. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you can hear when the new episode comes out. All of the show notes will be featured on noskin.co. And I really look forward to speaking to you next year, telling you more about what's happening with No Skin and speaking to a whole bunch more really awesome guests. Thanks a lot.